The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Are, are you looking at a cursed photograph? Have I unleashed a horrible haunting on all of my listeners? Could you kill a robot? And then we travel to Nevada to uncover an interesting Indian story about giant cannibalistic monster people. However, when archaeologists start digging up their remains, the story seems surprisingly true. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. You know, it's funny, I had a different intro <laughs> set up for today, but I'm sure you guys are saying, just get, just, just explain this photo, please. Explain this. Now again, I have two listenerships, people who listen to it on YouTube, who are now being confronted with this image and then and then there's the rest of us who listen to the show on podcasts at work and things like that this is just in your pocket you feel this little face pressed up against your skin or maybe it's sitting in a corner of your office your phone as this is being streamed via bluetooth so you guys don't have to look at the photo as much but i i I ask you now to take that phone out of your pocket to look at the podcast art for this episode because it's creepy it's super creepy. So <laughs> you guys are like, yes, yes, thanks for explaining that this photo is creepy. And I know there's a couple of you out there being like, this is nothing. I go to Rotten.com. Th- that's not the point. It's not a gory photo. It's an unsettling photo. A cursed photo, I believe. Let's get into this. The year is 1991. We're one year away from Terminator 2 rocketing to the box office. It's June 5th. That's nothing to do with this story. Arnold Schwarzenegger is not in this photograph. It's June 5th, 1991. There's a little Super 8 motel in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Security guards walking along. Hey, you gotta open up your hotel room. Open up. Security. No one's coming to the door. Uh, Tries to open it. Won't open. Security guard has to unlock a deadbolt and then unlock the door. Double bolted. Opens up. The hotel room. The security guard walks into the hotel room and sees like a suitcase laying there. And you know, stuff you would imagine in a hotel room. (laughs) That's not suspicious. He's like, a suitcase in a hotel room. Time to call the police. Like, it's just stuff. There's a couple bottles of alcohol, some cigarettes, things like that. But there is a shape in the shower. A recognizable shape. It's body. And then the security guard's like, well, that's suspicious. I mean, yes, this is a Super 8 motel in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I've seen a couple of these, but I'm just going to leave and get the police in here. The police come in here, and what they find is a woman is hung. She's dead, hanging from the shower head. She was hung with a suitcase strap. At this point, it's interesting because they said that they believe she'd been dead for two days. But at this point, she is so decomposed. That she's unrecognizable. 
they can't looking at her face they can't tell anything about her now i'm wondering if the water was running the whole time because in two days i don't think that's enough time to really decompose to the point that you're unrecognizable i used to work in a in a uh, mortuary in a um a morgue would be more specific than a mortuary but anyways i mean bodies can decompose pretty quickly but to be unrecognizable but anyway so i'm wondering if the water was just running the whole time that will wear you down very very quickly point is is that she's dead they don't recognize her they can't tell from face the only way that they can identify her in any sort of way is in this hotel room where there is this woman hanging no name nothing to identify her with there is a photograph that she took at a, you know those little parlor, those little like things they have at movie theaters or arcades or carnivals? You know where you get into the giant box and you it takes like five photos of you and it comes out on that little strip. It's like instant photos and you make funny, do they still even have those? Now everyone has a camera, but you'd crawl into this box with your friends or like whatever, your mom, and then it would take pictures of you. You guys know what I'm talking about. So anyways, that was the only thing they had on the table with all of her other stuff there was a little tiny photo of her making that face oh and there's a man sitting behind her like she's sitting on some guy's lap they've never been able to identify the man they've never been able to identify her there's just that photo that they now circulate to see if anyone recognizes her there is a scale they found a digital scale in there that said george martinez they don't know who that is they don't know if that's the guy in the photo but that is all just a sad circumstance. People do leave areas that they're in. Did I say she had heroin in her system? I don't think I said that yet. They did find heroin in her system as well. So it's possible that she was just doing heroin and goes, oh, this sucks, and then kills herself. They don't think she was murdered. I mean, I don't think most heroin users are like, done shooting up heroin, time to kill myself. But the the police don't think this was a murder. They think it was a suicide because the, the, the door was locked from the inside. But they've never been able to identify her. This photo is circulating, trying to say... The photo is haunting. The photo is haunting. Now, the photo could have been taken weeks or months before her death. It could have been taken the day before her death. But there's something about the look in her face. So what happened was, I was on Reddit earlier yesterday, and I was reading this thread, and it was like, most disturbing media you've come across regarding true crime. Because I follow a lot of true crime Reddits. And someone says... Oh, the Albuquerque Jane Doe photo. And I was like, yeah, well, you know, whatever. I've seen it all. And I clicked on it. And I, like, felt this <laughs> face, like, floating. Oh, So my apartment, I've talked about it being haunted, right? And this is what happened yesterday. I was had to get up to go to work. So it's dark outside. It's all spooky. I looked at the photo. And again, you guys are like, Jason, you're a big baby. I'm sitting, this photo's not creepy at all. I'm watching it on YouTube, and I'm like in the dark, have all my lights shut off. It's not creepy at all. I don't think it's just me. I bet you anything, you're going to, look at it. Look at the photo, and tell me that's not a haunting photo. What happened was, I woke up at 4.30 yesterday morning. I'm on my phone, and I'm reading this stuff on Reddit, and it's like, oh, this is spooky. And a lot of these pictures I had seen before, and they weren't gory. They were just disturbing. I'm going through my phone, and I click on it, and I was like, oh, that was creepy. Creepy Albuquerque Jane Doe woman. And then I remember being, I usually shut off all my lights like a big boy, <laughs> like an adult. I shut off all my lights, and then I usually have to walk through a dark apartment because the light switch to, like, by my door doesn't work it it works i just haven't replaced the light bulb so generally i have to shut the lights off on one side of my apartment and then walk what is that like 10 15 feet 
to the front door, and then I open it. Now, again, I do live in a haunted apartment in a haunted apartment complex, so it is spooky in general. But then I walk to my front door. I turn my back to my apartment as I undo my three locks. I'm glad I'm giving all this information out to my stalkers. And then I walk out of my apartment complex. What I did this morning after looking at that photo, and I looked at it and I go, oh, that's that's creepy. Just something about it is so terrifying. I then, whenever my back was turned to I'm going to have a hard time <laughs> recording this episode Whenever, because I keep looking over my shoulder, I've been doing that ever since I started recording. And again, you guys can be like, I'm not feeling it. But but just roll with me on this. If you don't think it's creepy, just pretend it is. Just pretend. Just pretend for me. Don't give me comments being like, that's not creepy. Be like, that's really creepy, Jason. Super spooky. And I'll be like, yay. They agree with me. I... Look at the photo. It totally creeps me out. I can't stop looking at the photo. So now I'm sharing that horror with you. Then it's time for me to leave. And I'm all suited up because I got to have all these like lights and lanterns on my backpack. So people can see me while I'm walking down the road. And I shut off my light. It has like these three light bulbs. You're like riveting podcasting, Jason. We don't care. I'm shutting off the light. I have these three light bulb lamp thing. And I shut off the first two. And then I can't shut off the last one. I can't be in a dark room by myself. Because I know that face is right behind me. And I remember like not even wanting to turn my back on my bedroom, which is where I get a lot of the haunting vibes. I didn't want to turn my back on my bedroom. So I kind of did this weird shuffle. I did like this side like crab walk where I was like walking sideways. I had to walk towards the door, but I didn't want to turn my back completely to my bedroom. So I'm like doing this weird kind of shuffle. And then I just want to, I have this feeling I need to get out of my apartment. I need to get out of my apartment. The face is right behind me. So I, uh, uh, and I get out of my apartment and I start walking. And then I realize I left my walking stick because it's snowing. So I'm like standing at the end of the hallway, my spooky, spooky apartment complex. And I go, Jason, there may or may not be the face of a deceased woman in your apartment, but you do need your walking stick. So you're just going to have to face the problem head on. And so I chuckle to myself as I made that pun and then I turn and I walk in and I was just panicked. I was like, I'm doing the door. And then I grabbed my walking stick and I ran out. Not literally. I bounced out. You're like, Jason, you're a man who hosts a podcast about ghosts. You seem to be awfully scared by a photograph. But I swear there's something to this photograph. I really do. I think that this is... we. A lot of times you'll see people talk about cursed photographs or things. I think this might actually be a cursed photograph. It's not a gory photograph. It's not a depressing photograph. It's not a grisly photograph or anything like that. It's not a photograph of someone's last moments or someone getting ripped apart by lions. Or It's a photo of a moment of fun. A woman getting her photo taken at an Instamax photo booth somewhere in 1991. But it's the only image that we know of of this human existing. That alone makes it bizarre. But that's not the... Re- I've seen photos like that before. This photo, there's something about it that I believe is haunted. Cursed! Maybe. By gazing upon this photo, you are now inviting this horrifying image into your mind. So you're welcome for putting it on the podcast. I don't know the ramifications because I only just saw it, what, 24 hours ago. So it's possible that seven days after viewing this photo, you actually see the face. And you may be thinking, Jason, that's pretty disrespectful because you're talking about 
like this woman who's committed suicide and you're turning her story into a ghost story. Well, that's probably true. However, I will defend it like this as well. If you recognize recognize this person, you can follow the show notes and you'll see links to contact someone. So maybe some good will come out of it. Maybe someone will go, that was my aunt. I remember her. So there's that too. That's another reason why I'm putting the not. I'm not just putting the photo up to curse my listeners. Maybe you recognize her, but I'm also putting it up because I think it's a creepy photo and it's possibly cursed. And I'm sorry. And speaking of sorry, I should have said this earlier, but I've got tied up in that. We have a new Patreon supporter, and I'm sorry that this Patreon supporter is getting mentioned in this episode. Tressa, Tressa, thank you very much for supporting the Patreon. Really, really means a lot. Tressa's like, yeah, next time don't don't mention my name after the horrifying photo segment. If you can't support the Patreon, that's fine too. We have a merch store, and if you can't do that, just get the word out about the show. It really, really helps a lot. Helps the show grow. Reviewing the show wherever you listen to podcasts really, really helps a lot. I appreciate anything. Now, I told you I was going to do the story about uh, killing robots. Could you kill a robot? We're going to save that till tomorrow because I want to get into this next story here. We'll save the killing robots for later. People are like, ah. I love killing robots. (laughs) You're all disappointed. Like, oh, yeah, to talk about that horrifying photo. And get back to me. Am I wrong? Did I just spend 15 minutes talking about a photo that only I and the Redditor person finds horrifying? I think there's something about the photo. I think anyone who mocks the photo is only going to get more of the photo coming at you. But anyways, anyways, we're done with the photo. It's still going to appear, though. I'm not changing the podcast art, so it's stuck there for the rest of the episode as we go to this next one. We're leaving behind Albuquerque, New Mexico. We will let Tressa fly the Carpenter Copter and take us all the way to Lovelock, Nevada. (laughs) Flying away. And and we're sitting in the back. We're discussing the story. Um, Tressa's flying the helicopter. And I look, and there's a little photograph. There's, you, know how, you know how in those war movies, they put little photographs on the dashboard of their of their vehicle. We look, and we see that Tressa put a little photograph on the dashboard of the Carpenter Copter. And we're like, what is that? What is that? And it's a photo. It's the photo of the girl. I don't know why you can't stop. This This podcast is now, this entire episode is just the photo. And anyway, so to make a long story short, we're like, trust the trust. And then she turns around and she has the face of the girl. We're like, ah, oh. okay, that's the end. That's the end of that segment. That's the end of that segment. Tressa became the girl. She became, sorry. Again, people are like, I don't want to support your Patreon. I'm going to get possessed by a photograph of a dead woman. Sorry, Tressa. Anyways, we land. We regain control of the carpenter copter, and we're like, trust the trust, we have to perform an exorcism. We end up landing the helicopter in modern-day Lovelock, Nevada. Now, back when we're going back in time to look at the story, it wasn't called Lovelock back then, but if you're in the area, this place exists. This is a really, really fascinating story. Really interesting one. It's 1913. These dudes are hanging out in Nevada, and they're like, oh, you know what we should do? We should find like we should go in this cave and then everyone all of his buddies are super suspicious bill every time we hang out with you you just want to go in caves like what is your thing with caves i really like caves man i just find them really neat and warm so anyways they do what bill says because they're gullible they walk in and there's like it's a tiny little cave opening usually like humans can't fit in that but these guys they go in there and they're like ka-ching their eyes are like 
because they're in a cave full of bat guano. Now, I know you probably thought it was gold or diamonds, but these guys, they're like, mm, give me that sweet, sweet guano. Guano is extremely valuable. Extremely valuable. You use it for fertilizer, use it for gunpowder. I don't know if they still use it for gunpowder. It's 1913, though. They're like, yes, I got that guano money, baby. They're like going to the club. They're just throwing it. It's all white and sticky. But anyways, they start mining the cave. And they have to make the opening bigger. What happened was the opening was so small that only bats could really get in and out of it. So bats, it was totally peaceful for them. They'd go in there, poop everywhere. And you had like centuries of bat poop. They're mining this stuff. And they start mining. They're a couple feet deep in this stuff. Because it's all like hard and sterilized. It's not like dog poop. It's not like you step in it. They're like, oh, they're like to their knees in dog poop. It's like fossilized. So you're like, it's like a mineral. So they dig down. Over the years, they're digging, they're digging. By 1924, they're starting to like chop open with pickaxes. They're starting to like mine into these guano walls. They're finding artifacts. They're like, that's weird. Clay pot. That's bizarre. Hand? Huh? They find, like, skeleton bones and stuff like that. And they're like, that's weird. Like, who would have been in this cave? It was so small. But they just keep digging. The It's just too valuable to really get into it. But archaeologists start to hear about all these artifacts they're finding in this mine. The archaeologists show up, and they're like, okay, guys, the mining thing is good and all, but let us try to dig around in here and see what we can find. Some lost civilization, maybe? Now, when the archaeologists show up and they're digging around, it's not just that they're finding pots and stuff like that. That is interesting enough. But these, and this is where I came across the story. These skeletons are referred to as giants. So now you're into this whole thing of giants being dug up and then the Smithsonian showing up and smashing the bones and all this stuff. We've done an episode on that before, but the idea is this, is that there was a giant race that preceded humanity and it's proof that the Bible's real and the Smithsonian doesn't want people to believe in the Bible. This is a legit conspiracy. I'm no okay. It's not legit in the sense that I believe it, but there's a huge amount. Whenever I talk about this on any episode, I get a lot of feedback about well, you're wrong. The Smithsonian actually does this. So, but for the new listeners or people who, who are sane, the idea is this before humanity, there was a race of giants. That, possibly. I'm not arguing that. I don't know necessarily that they lived alongside humans. But anyways, the point is this. There was a race of giants preceding humans. Possible. And their bones are everywhere. If you look back at old-timey newspapers from the 1920s, 1930s, you would see all these articles about giants being dug up. And the Smithsonian would appear at the end of each article. Like, like all of these articles end, and the bones are shipped in the Smithsonian. And then there's never any follow-up on these stories. So they're basically this mustache-twirling villain. And the reason why this the Smithsonian... So, uh, God... And I gotta do... So this is the reason why Christianity comes into this, is that the in the Book of Enoch, the Book of Genesis, really, but the Book of Enoch goes into detail, and I did an episode on that as well. Angels came down and started banging human women their babies were giants. And then God created the flood to wipe out the half-human, half-demons. So the idea is this, is that you have these giants that pre-existed humanity or were alongside humanity. And they're proof that humans and demons had sex and created this race of giants. The Smithsonian wants no proof of Christianity. It hates Christianity. So it is going around destroying these giants. Otherwise, it'll prove that Christianity is real. That's absolutely insane. 
I have heard the conspiracy theory, which is a little more rational, that the Smithsonian was headed up by a guy, and I covered this in an earlier episode, too. Maybe I'll put this on one of my repeats. Maybe I'll do this episode. But anyways, there was a guy who was running the Smithsonian in the early days, and he said, there is no race greater than humanity in any... And I'm totally paraphrasing here. No one was more advanced than where we're at right now, so any proof, any... shouldn't say any proof. Any theories leading to that conclusion are obviously wrong, because we're the most advanced species. So some people have taken that to mean, we have proof there are more advanced species, go out and smash their bones. And other people go, no, he was just very not ethnocentric but like civilization centric like he believed that this was the most highest form of civilization so any scientist who says atlantis lemuria advanced giant races they're wrong and we should prove them wrong so anyways that is a more viable story that the smithsonian goes no we don't think anyone was more advanced than us Let's secretly smash these giants that one again i don't think it's true but that one's more feasible than the Smithsonian going like, we hate God, we hate God, like it's a Marilyn Manson concert, and some just smashing bones. That's completely ridiculous. And I should say this too, the reason why, and every so often someone will address this, the reason why there were a bunch of stories in the 1920s and the 1930s about giants is because people were making them up. It was yellow journalism, it was newspapers, I'm not saying they were all fake, but a lot of them were. So anyways... Let's go on with the story. These people said, we found these giant skeletons. Now, the website Anomalian, which is actually a really good website. I really, I'm not knocking them for this. But, you know, people are going to get their information weirdly from time to time. Anomalian.com is a really good website. They say that the skeletons were 8.5 to 10 feet tall, which would definitely put them almost outside the range of humanity. You can't... I think... That if there were giants, I mean, of course there's giants. We know Andre, but I think it was, if you found Andre the giant skeleton, I don't think you can then go, there was tens of thousands of these people. I think they're genetic anomalies. But anyways, this race of giants, and the reason why I want to address that, because this these guys are known as like the Nevada giants. And I'm not going to be debunking it all, because this actually gets really, really interesting. I'm just kind of going over over all this base stuff, because I want to get this out of the way now. When we look back at the original literature where they found these bones, they did say they were giant. They were giant as in, they were six feet, six inches. So language is really, really important. Language is really, really important. Because back in the 1920s, where you don't have basketball players like massive basketball players someone who's six foot you'd be if i saw someone who's six foot six and someone goes hey how would you describe him i'd be like oh great personality really nice dude he paid for my dinner he's actually kind of cool no 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 physically i was like oh yeah 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 uh dude he was a giant dude he was like six foot six he was huge and then a hundred years later you would have the article podcast host meets giant question mark the smithsonian smash him over the head so they wrote in their book, the archaeologist would be like, the the bone, the skeletons we found were that of a giant. But then you go two sentences down and they go, yeah, he was six foot six. So that type of stuff gets distorted over time. And they said um, it, it appeared bigger because it was next to, I think, two or three female skeletons that they found, which were much shorter. So that's where these stories come from. Here we go, though. Let's move past the giant stuff because I want to get to where is any of this true? And it is. We know who's in that cave. And who's in that cave? Giants, actually. It was a very, very tall tribe. So we're going back in time to Native American days. We're going way back. In this same region, there was a tribe called 
CT car. CT car. CT car meant the tool eaters, which I guess is some sort of reed. There used to be a big lake in the area, and these reeds would grow on it, and they would make their boats out of tool, which seems like a really bad boat for a giant to be in. Like, you think you'd want it to be really hardy and made of wood, but apparently these guys like to test fate. And they would have these raiding parties where they would attack other tribes and then get in their weed boats, be like, ah, and they'd go back to their area. They would also attack women who were trying to get tool themselves. So they were very, CT Ka, they were very associated with the reed, the tools. However, they were also red-headed cannibal giants. So if I had a group of people, I don't think, okay, let's put it this way. If I had a group of people, we'd be called like the Wolverines. I'd be like the coolest name possible, right? But if someone else is naming you, you name people and you're like, hey, watch out for those guys. You'd be like, why? Because they're mobsters. What's a mobster? Well, it's like a mob. It's like you go, oh, a mob, like a group of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Watch out for those guys. They're gangsters. What's a gangster? Gang, a group of, oh, yeah, 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 I get it. What's a, look out for those guys, a bunch of criminals. Crime, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. If I wanted to warn someone of a group of people and they go, who are those? I'm like, oh dude, oh, they're the tool eaters. They make, what does that mean? Well, you know, tool, right? They take those reeds and they turn them into boats and they like attack women. And you're like, oh, that's not true. I'm not a woman and I don't really care about boats. So you just like run into these guys. You're like, hey, buddy, what's up? Nice boat. And they eat you. Like part of part of their warning name should be cannibal giants, not tool eaters. If there is an, if you have an opposing force that you should be training your people to watch out for, you should warn them of their most violent act, i.e. being a cannibal. So the legend in this area, which people had heard about for a long time, this legend was going around, but the settlers were like, ah, you know, it's just old legends. These dudes, though, were walking around eating people, and eventually all the other tribes in the area go, we're tired of being eaten. This sucks. We got to do something about this. So they basically formed an Avengers-like coalition. These CT Ka, they were the Thanos. Eventually, though, they all do form up. Massive battle takes place. It's funny because when we look at stuff like Avengers or Lord of the Rings and stuff like that, these stories ring true because they just played out throughout history. And sometimes the good guys win and sometimes the bad guys win. But in this case, all these tribes got together and they're fighting the CT Ka. And they push them back into this cave in what will eventually be Lovelock, Nevada. So all the forces of the cannibal giants are hiding out in this cave, which back then was a massive cave that you could just walk in and out of. And the tribes have now kind of put it under siege. And they're like, we can't stay here forever. We don't have supplies for a long-term siege. But we can't leave because then they'll just eat us, right? We've started this war. And the guys in there, they're like, we're going to eat you. They're like, yeah, yeah, we're discussing the whole eating thing. Just hang on. So they go, we have to do this. Now, there was one particular tribe, of uh, the Paiute, the Paiute tribe, and they basically took charge. And we actually, I mean, this is all historical. The daughter of, of the Paiute chief was doing an interview about this story, and she was saying, telling this whole thing, like, this is historical within the Native American community and uh, historical record. She says the Paiute said, this is what we have to do. We're going to smoke them out. We're going to start a fire outside the cave. 
And they'll either die of smoke inhalation, get burned, or as they come out, we're just going to stab them to death. Now, their entire tribe, or what's left of it, is in this cave system at this point. So you got, it's not just a bunch of warriors. You have their women and their, this, this war had been going on for a while. This wasn't a long afternoon. People are getting eaten. Tribes are fighting back. Eventually, there is this big push, and this was the last stand. The entire, the remaining people of the Saitika get pushed into this cave. They do. They smoke them out. The plan works. A bunch of people die of smoke inhalation, choking out. Guys are coming out, putting up a last stand. They're just getting stabbed. They're getting shot, and they're all dead. And they're left. And the daughter, her name was the daughter of the chief, uh, Sarah Winnemucku Hopkins. She had this quote. I thought this was interesting. After my people had killed them all, the people around us called us Sado Kara. It means conqueror. It also means enemy. Which is interesting because it was this tribe who said, we got to finish them. And that's a pretty barbaric way to end a war. I mean, war by definition is barbaric, but you have men, women, and children in this cave. They're ready to make a final stand instead of going in. It was a smart, smart tactical decision, but basically wiped out this civilization, killed all of this tribe, their all of their lineage, everything completely gone, their genetic code erased from the planet. They would be no they were known both as the conqueror, like they had won this war, but also enemy. The other tribes should watch out for a group that's this cunning. Very, very little it, it, I love these little footnotes in history. Anyways, so then later an earthquake collapsed the cave so only bats could fly in and out. So you had all of these undisturbed remnants in this cave. So you had this legend, this Native American legend, that they weren't like, yeah, it happened in that cave. It was just a story in the area. Then as the settlers were coming in, they'd hear these stories, yeah, yeah, whatever. But then you had real-life archaeology come in and mix with real-life Native American lore. What once was considered a myth by the Europeans was now historical fact. I think so we I think that this story is super fascinating. I found out about it because I was on a website called Anomaly and it was talking about giant people in Nevada. But the real story I think is just as fascinating. It doesn't have to be this big the idea of a six foot six tall Native American warrior smashing people's oh and and in the cave i should say this in the cave they found human bones cracked open and the marrow taken out of them so they were eating even as they were getting smoked out some guys like i'm gonna die doing what i love eating humans they found proof of cannibalism in this cave i think that that story is I'm not going to say it's more fascinating than a race of half-human, half-demon giants waging war across the planet, because that is fascinating. And the Smithsonian, as this occultish secret society smashing bones, I find that fascinating. But I, I think this is equally fascinating, that this story was true, that it was backed up by historical record, that for this period of time, you had this ultimate struggle on this little stretch of land in Nevada. And it always reminds you how many other amazing stories and battles and sagas have been lost to human history, because all of the people involved have just been died out or wiped out or assimilated or whatever. But as a little bit of a tidbit for my conspiracy-minded friends... 
the story has a bizarre twist of the ending. So they unearth these skeletons. These cannibal giant skeletons. And then, I'm not making this up, one of them goes missing. One of them is stolen. And the word in the archaeological street, it's Dig Avenue is what it's called, the word in the community is that the skeleton was stolen by a secret society to use as an initiation ritual. Which we do have precedent of that. Skull and Bones, it's the society, I believe, from Harvard? That George Bush and John Kerry were members of. Skull and Bones, it's a real group. They stole the bones of the Indian warrior Geronimo to use in their initiation. So there is precedent for this. The idea is that the skeleton was stolen for initiation purposes, secret society stuff. So maybe all of these giant skeletons that disappeared in the 1920s and the 1930s where Smithsonian was showing up and then smashing them, smashing up real good because they hate God. Maybe that's not what happened. Maybe these skeletons were getting taken not to be destroyed, but to be utilized in secret cult activities. Whenever a giant skeleton is found, it is shipped off to one of these incredibly secretive, very powerful groups. It's funny because yesterday we did the episode about the Pengbachi hand that also went missing and people believe it disappeared into some private collection. Is there a society of people who worship the bones of great warriors? Yeah, Skull and Bones. We already got that. But is there groups that worship the bones of mythological creatures, of giants, of heroes of renown? Old Testament stuff. It'd be the difference between praying to a cross in your local church and praying to an actual fragment of the true cross, the one Jesus bled on. Sure, you could pray or do your secret initiation stuff in front of the skull of a Native American warrior, or you could do it in front of the skull of a descendant of a half-human, half-demon. Because we have to say that this tribe in Nevada, the Tool Eaters, They were bigger than the other tribes in the area. They devoured humans. And it took an assemblage of other tribes to finally beat them. To where they were finally burned to death. Sounds very demonic to me. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. Twitter is at DeadRabbitRadio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. <laughs>